for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here back again for another best of show. We're going to be talking about our favorite games that Michigan State won in the NSA tournament. And as a preface to this, it's it's interesting. You have a lot of options. <laughs> you know, if you're fans of other schools, you may not have many choices. And so it would be a very short list. Like if you're a Nebraska fan, you don't have any. You haven't won a single game, right? So uh, it just is a reflection of how spoiled we are. And um, you have your list of five. I've got my five. And I'm sure people listening and listeners will have games that they remember that are their favorite games. And I, I, my criteria is probably going to be a lot different than yours, Rod. And so... Uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see what we come back and forth and sort of why we there's, come up with this. Yeah, there's a lot of choice. I mean, as we were doing it now, I'll give people one one small spoiler. Between the, the 10 games total between the two of us that we've chosen, we've only got one that's the same. Right. And and in part, that's because I'd rather have more games to discuss, I'll admit. But, <laughs> but it's also, I stand behind my list. Me too. At the same yeah, time. Mine as well. Yeah. Um, and there are other games that could have fit in. I mean, I can give you just real quick some of the games that are not on our list, on either of our lists. Um, the Sweet 16 game where MSU beat Kansas in uh, 2009. If you remember, that was a game where Kalen Lucas hits a huge shot late to put that game away. The next year in 2010, uh, two candidates. The second round game with the Corey Lucius jumper, to, uh, to beat Maryland in the game that Kalen Lucas was injured in, and then the Elite Eight game to beat Tennessee that year. Neither of those games made either of our lists. I don't the believe. Mar- actually, the Maryland game did. Oh, me. I'm sorry. Well, the Tennessee game did. <laughs> the Tennessee game for sure, yeah. No problem. <laughs> that's, sorry <laughs> like, hey, to that's spoil a- that one. But there are <laughs> other, there are definitely, but neither, I don't think, did you have any games from the 2001 Final Four? No, no. Yeah, neither did I. So there's nothing from that list. Yeah, um, right. Uh, well, and we and we dis and we did not include the final four or the national championship game. The, so like either the, you know waiting the, to the ch- oh, yeah that, that's, that's that was the, the other criteria. We should obviously, set that right. parameter out. No national championship wins are eligible for this discussion because those are obvious. The win over uh, Florida in 2000 and the win over especially the win over Indiana State in 1979. I mean, Arguably those are obviously the, the two most, greatest, right? I mean, NCAA tournament important. games. Yeah, clearly. and yeah. the 79 game, you can argue, is the most important game in college basketball history. Uh, still the most viewed. Yeah, um, which is so, amazing to think now. Uh, right? it, it is. It really is. But it goes <laughs> to show you 
the, the magnitude of those two players and, and that Michigan state team, I think in particular, yeah. but so there's all these games. I mean, and you think about, um, I mean, gosh, you look at this year, you had a great, I think that performance against Marquette was sensational. Yeah. That got nowhere close to our, no, list, it was an, you know? yeah, I know. Um, the, the, uh, I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> let me look before I verify this. Neither one of us had either of the victories in what was it? Maybe 13 and 14 or nope. 14 and no, 14 and 15 over Virginia. No. And I thought oh. about those games as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot. I, I won't go any further. Yeah. Suffice right. it to say there's a ton of, of games that were huge wins monumentally important and they were great close competitive games that didn't make either of our lists so you're right we're spoiled for choice when we have a discussion like this but i i think collectively you know i guess between the two of us we've got nine games in total nine different games we each share one on our list and um then we each have four that are unique to our own list. So right. nine games total that I feel very confident about that you could lay out in front of any Michigan State fan and say, yeah, these are the nine best. And you would have arguments, but they would be contentious. The Any of these nine definitely belong in the discussion. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, before we begin the discussion, just want to remind you, to continue supporting the show. You guys are awesome and that and how much you're financially supporting the show, not only by visiting our sponsors like Nudge Printing or the Brothers Just Two Gutters, who are very appreciative of your support, uh, but also financial support. So you can do that. Ken's Kramer, once again, uh, send us some money via PayPal. You can do one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo. Uh, you can also go to Patreon and do a recurring gift. There are different levels. You can uh, contribute to Scott Skiles, Draymond Green, Mateen Cleaves, or Magic Johnson level. Uh, they have various rewards i guess you'd say for the levels and so just you can check that out at uh the fair, final force on the schedule.com slash support and then you can find the different ways to support the show and those are all again obviously um very well appreciated and continue sharing the show and leave reviews five stars written reviews are super helpful for the algorithms other spartan fans find the show and it so i mean our numbers are up every i mean every year over year and so it's really great it's a testament to uh, what you guys are doing and then us just kind of kept plugging along. So doing fun shows like this. So I know it's not basketball season, but you know, Moneyball's coming up. And I do want to mention, I will actually be going to Moneyball uh, July 18th. So um, I guess if you guys want to, I'll wear my shirt. <laughs> so if you guys want to say hi or something like that, I'll be there somewhere in the whole gym. I don't know. Well, it's a, it, I'm guessing it's going to be pretty busy. Uh, just from the sounds of Moneyball, we're just listening to the first reports today as we're recording this. And sounds like it's it was pretty entertaining, at least. And certainly, the freshmen might be performing the way we hope they are. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, let's get into the games here. So I'll start with mine, uh, my number five game, and this is one that's going to be, I think, is the most controversial. Uh, but it's uh, Michigan State's when they were number one seed, nineteen ninety, playing in the first round against Murray State. They won seventy five seventy one in overtime. And for me, this was a very important game in the sense that Michigan State hadn't been the in the NCAA tournament for a while. It was the first game since I was in uh, since. I think the, since, 86. Before the, since 86 and so been four years, uh, you know, I'm in high school and Michigan State finally is going to make it. And back then, I know it's hard for people who are younger to realize, but it was it was a big deal making the NCAA tournament. It wasn't something that happened that often, really, frankly, when I was a kid growing up. And so it was a special thing to watch them make the tournament. Just just to tell people. So 
between 1979 and that game, Michigan State played in a grand total of four NCAA tournament games, and three of them came in the 1986 season. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's it for the 80s. Yeah. Four games. Two appearances, four games. And so, so you're absolutely right. Right. And so C. Smith, so I was, a, I was what, a sophomore in high school or something. So I was super nervous about the game. Uh, but Michigan State was number one seed. A number one seed had never lost to a 16. And so, and they really, games had almost never been close. I mean, Michigan State yeah. was a 15 point favorite going to Murray State. And then, as a, a story that's very familiar to those of us who remember the uh, Middle Tennessee State game, clearly Murray State was a much better team than a 16 seed. And Steve Smith finished the game with 22 points, 11 rebounds. He went two for five from three, uh, 10 for 16 from the field. Uh, Kirk Manns had 21 points, uh, a couple boards, but he was terrible from three. He's three of 11 for three. Popeye Jones, a name that became almost like a nightmare name for safe fans, had 37 points, 11 rebounds, three for seven from three, 15 of 36 from the field. Uh, Michigan State uh, led at halftime at 33-31. Uh, they ended up winning in overtime thanks to Steve Smith's play. But, I mean, it was uh, it was an exciting game, a, a game that you didn't hope to be exciting, <laughs> but it was. And the last thing you want is Michigan State to finally make the tournament and then to, like, get knocked out first run. I mean, it was like yep. – so, anyway, it was a great win. They obviously just made it to the Sweet 16 and didn't go any further. But it was a – for me, that was a very momentous time, and it was a really great game to watch. And and that was – it would again, I to those of us – those of you who are, you know – in your thirties or younger, it was not that you, you would go many games in a season without being able to see Michigan state on television. I mean, they weren't all televised. I don't think even at that time, maybe they were then, but I don't think so. All the big, all the big 10 games were by that point, um, non-conference, there would definitely be some odd games here and there, but I want to, I want to speak to this because I think it's a, I think it's a good choice. I think it's a defensible choice. Um, one thing you got to keep in mind, and it, it gets at what you were just talking about. It's not that's not to say that you know you see every every mid major multiple times uh, before the NCAA tournament now, but you could. Right. Yeah, you the couldn't possibility possibly. Possibility is yeah. there. It wasn't as possible. I'm not saying Murray State was never on television, but. I'm going to guess other than their conference tournament, probably very rarely. And the reason you have to keep something in mind, 1990, yes, ESPN exists, but nothing ESPN two doesn't even exist at that point. That came (laughs) maybe that came when I was in law school. So that was probably 92, 93, something like that. Never mind ESPN, U, ESPN plus all of these, these, um, outgrowths of technology fox sports didn't exist so the the reality is a team like murray state just was not viewed the way that they could be now right you know um so you didn't have the same sense of what the opponent really was coming in i i I was in college i was a senior at michigan state so this was my senior year. It was a big deal to me. I I did. I was beginning to think I was never going to live long enough to see Michigan State win another Big Ten championship, <laughs> and they did that year very dramatic fashion. They clinched it outright, beating Purdue at the buzzer on a DJ Stevens layup. Yes, um, it was a huge deal, and that number one seed was a huge deal. 
very big. And, and also not to forget, this is the next season after Michigan had won its national championship. So for Michigan state to come in the defending national champions of Michigan returned a lot of those guys, not everybody. They had lost Glenn Rice and a couple of other guys, but the majority of their core that had won the national championship returned that year. And for Michigan state to, to win the big 10 over those guys and everybody else and earn a one seed was a big, big deal. And then, as you said, just the, the gap in time between the last NCAA tournament appearance, how bad the eighties were in general, this was a big deal. And so if you're going to come in and lose as a one seed in your first game, that would have been catastrophic, but we really didn't have a great sense of how good Murray state was. We absolutely did not have a great sense of how good Popeye Jones was. I remember reading about him leading up to the game, but that's all it was. You didn't have, there weren't clips on the internet of him. You know, you just didn't <laughs> have no a way. Right. You didn't. Well, I guess the Internet technically existed. There was well, no World Wide Web. There was, yeah. yeah, there was no way to see Popeye Jones. So when he comes out and it's obvious right out of the shoot, oh, man, this guy could play. That was an eye opener. And keep in mind, Popeye Jones had a long NBA career. So this was not just a flash in the pan. He was actually a very, very good basketball player. Um, but they got enough out of Steve Smith. They got enough out of some of their other guys to thank God overcome it um, and at least survive. And of course, that team, unfortunately, was absolutely robbed in the Sweet 16 in the Georgia Tech loss. That was a Michigan State team that I think was good enough to go to a Final Four. And it's a shame that they weren't, but they wouldn't have even gotten that far but for some heroics in overtime to beat that Murray State team. So that's a good choice, in my opinion. All right. So what is your number five? My number five is 1999 game versus Kentucky. Oh, Michigan yeah. State wins it by a 73-66 count. This is Tom Izzo's first Elite Eight appearance. The win gives him the first of his eight Final Four appearances. And so that's probably reason enough to consider this one for the list, right? All those yeah, things, all those, sure. all those first. And, and let's, again, let's put a capper on this. This is the first time Michigan State had been in an Elite Eight game since 1979. Mm -hmm. Right. So it had been 20 years since they'd gotten that far and they hadn't been to a final four since then either. And of course they did manage to achieve both of those things, but to even put a little more on it, you have to remember the university of Kentucky were the defending national champions that year. Tubby Smith was the coach and though they were a three seed and Michigan state was the one, they still carried that mystique and the weight of the Kentucky name and the Kentucky program. Right. Uh, Michigan state that year to reframe it, were the number one seed, as I said, after winning both the Big Ten regular season, which they went 15 and one. They lost the first game of conference play to Wisconsin and then ran off 15 in a row. Uh, it's the most dominant Big Ten regular season team Izzo's ever had, was this group. And they also won the Big Ten tournament title. So that's why they earned a one seed. The game itself was a very interesting one. And I think is worthy in and of itself for inclusion here. 
Kentucky, and I rewatched some highlights to refresh some of my memory. UK got out to a 19 to six lead in the first nine minutes of the game. So Michigan State was in a big hole. They called the timeout, and I remember reading and hearing about this. They call a timeout, and Antonio Smith basically challenges the manhood of everybody else in the huddle. Just lets them have it. <laughs> and if you know the role that Antonio Smith played on those on this team, the four years he was there, you don't find any difficulty believing that that happened. <laughs> so MSU bounces back. One of the things that happens after that timeout, A.J. Granger catches fire. He hits three threes. He goes three for three from, from outside the arc for the game. All of them came in the first half. And they helped Michigan State stabilize and get back into it. They also got a huge long-distance three from a team Cleves at the buzzer going into halftime that cut a four-point lead to one. And so MSU went into halftime with all the momentum. And then in the second half, it was a tight game. They were never able to get a big working margin, but they gradually wore Kentucky down, pulled away a little bit to a multiple possession lead for most of the game's final six, seven minutes to get just enough control to win it. Uh, Morris Peterson had the big numbers, 19 points and 10 rebounds off the bench. Remember that year? He was the sixth man who was still first team all Big Ten. <laughs> right. And yeah. and Mateen Cleves had 10 points and 11 assists in the win. So to me, because of the the game, the way that game flowed and what it meant for Izzo and for Michigan State as a program, it belongs on the list. So I've got that as my number five. And I think it's important to look at that too, because you know, now we sort of say, oh, well, you know, Izzo is kind of Mr. March and he knows he's got the whole sort of system to figure out. That's his first foray into the NCAA tournament, into into that sort of pressure situation. So, yeah, to be that successful to get through the Elite Eight and then also to get to the Final Four, I mean, that says quite a bit uh, for him. And 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 you never know, you know, at the time we just thought, wow, this is a great season, they'll be good next year. But you never have any, certainly have no idea what's going to transpire over the next twenty some years, right? I that's mean, really really important because if you remember the year before. They win the Big Ten. It's a big surprise. You're mostly a young team. And they got to the Sweet 16. They beat Eastern Michigan and they beat Princeton. And then I believe they got beat pretty easily by North Carolina yeah. in the Sweet 16. Sounds right. And so that was a great season. Like, hey, there was there were not super high expectations. They'd been kind of disappointing the year before. So great. That season was gravy. They bring a lot of these guys back. There were expectations before this season that we're talking about, 98, 99, but you have to deliver on those. And you're right to say at this point, Tom Izzo's not Mr. March because he hasn't been in enough of them. This is only his second trip to the tournament, and it's his fourth season overall. So to do all of that at this time was a big deal, and it, it definitely put him and Michigan State's program on the map. And of course they needed to continue to do more to solidify that perception, which of course they did. Yeah. I wonder if you pulled a hundred Michigan State basketball fans in that year and asked them, do you think Michigan State will go to the next 25 NCAA tournaments? How many of them would, would think would, you know, wager like 50 bucks on that? I can't imagine yeah, more than it, like you, two or 3%. You wouldn't because <laughs> 
because you couldn't you couldn't know that Michigan State's recruiting was going to get to where it would. You couldn't know you couldn't know yet what Izzo was. We didn't know that's from it, that's what it we, right? Yeah, yeah, and and you didn't know that he was going to be around for that long, right? And that's why you, to you get know? a long run like that, to, you're like, wait a minute, yeah. this, you're telling me Michigan's going to be like Kansas? You're like, what are you crazy? A lot I mean, of yeah, so many things had to fall into place, and you're right. In 1999, you wouldn't have necessarily called it. All right, so let's go to number four on my list, and this is the. 2015 game, uh, Michigan State was number seven. They're playing uh, number four, Louisville, in the Elite Eight, and they won 76-70 in overtime. Uh, this game with Travis Trice, uh, you know, carried Michigan State through the NCAA tournament. He scored uh, 17 points. They were down 40-32 at half and looked like they were, I mean, they were really struggling. Louisville uh, hit 17-32 from the field in the first half, and then Michigan State just just strangled them in the second half in Louisville shot six of 32. Uh, But they had to, uh, they had to hit a lot of shots and they had to play some good defense and to make it to overtime. Uh, And then uh, Forbes started, I think the hitting a three to start the overtime and that sort of set the tone. And that was what finished off Louisville. They just defensively, they were just, Michigan State was just too good. And down the end, they just couldn't get a shot off even overtime. I think, Valentine had a steal when they're up like a possession or two, like three, four points, got a foul on Trice. He had some free throws. And anyway, they put the game away. The The thing that it's so memorable to me and my family in particular is we were going on, that's our spring break time. And our spring break was to Mammoth Caves. And so we happened to be in Louisville the next day. And we were just, you know, we packed our usual clothes, which is Michigan State stuff. <laughs> we're walking around Louisville, like they went to Louisville Slugger Factory and stuff. We're like, oh, maybe this is a bad idea. Maybe these people might be kind of sore <laughs> about losing to Michigan State. Uh, and we got a couple side uh, sidelong glances and stuff. But it was it was a great trip, and Kentucky's beautiful. <laughs> You're not wrong about that because anybody who's attended some of the and, – and it's interesting because Michigan State and Louisville in the Rick Pitino era at Louisville – really had a good and interesting little rivalry in the NCAA tournament. But anybody who's attended those games will tell you the Louisville fan base is as hard to deal with as anybody, just in terms of obnoxiousness and entire, that's, that's my opinion. At least yeah, they're right I, up there with anybody. Well, they're, I mean, Kentucky, um, right. It's kind of that both of the teams are kind of the similar yeah, fan bases. But I think they're, you might be able to argue they're even worse, more blue collar. Um, it's, it's close. <laughs> Um, maybe some of it comes from feeling aggrieved at sharing the state with Kentucky. I don't know, but this is a really good choice. Um, my recollection of that game, and I don't have stats in front of me, but just my memory of that game. And it goes somewhat to the defense that you're talking about was Brandon Dawson. I just have a memory really imposing himself on that game as a defender and a rebounder. Yes. And and that's my recollection is that he was really a huge key for Michigan State in that game. I, I was going to mention or I alluded to it for, you know, Michigan State and Louisville in the Rick Pitino era, I believe, met in the NCAA tournament three times. Mm-hmm. Each time it was a second weekend game. So they lost in the Sweet 16 in 2012, but they won twice in Elite Eight games. Mm-hmm. They won. Yeah. They won this one that you mentioned, 
And then they won another one, which um, we did. Uh, neither one of us, I don't believe, chose. And that's nope. in the 2009 Elite Eight. And that one was an even bigger deal than this one because that Louisville team, um, I don't know how many people remember this, but that 2009 season was a year where Big East mania in, in the media was at a fever pitch. And I think the Big East had three one seeds that year. Michigan State took out two of them. They took out <laughs> Louisville, and then they took out another team I'll talk about in a, in a little bit. Um, but that Louisville team was hyped beyond belief. And if you remember, Michigan State, they were a zone. To, they played a lot of zone that year. And Goran Sutan, I just remember slipping into the middle of that zone and absolutely killing them with uh, free throw line jumpers. And Michigan State really, really buried them in that game. A very different game than the one you're talking about, which obviously went overtime, was much more competitive. But anyway, just an interesting side note that there was a hell of a, a little rivalry established between, I would say, two of the top 10 college basketball coaches of all time in Michigan's in Tom Izzo and Rick Pitino. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And and that just in lead up to that game for those primer is, you know, Michigan State beat Virginia, then number two, Virginia, number three, uh, Oklahoma, in order to face Louisville. And to yep. your point, too, about Dawson, I think you probably recall there's a play at the very end. I think it's at the end of regulation where Forbes comes down, shoots a three, misses it. Dawson gets a yep. rebound and puts it up um, yep. and puts it in. And it actually gave him a lead, I think. And that made a sort of ice the game. And maybe that was an overtime, if I recall. But anyway, I yeah, I, exactly. I do remember that play. I can visualize it. He, if I remember correctly, he got the rebound and shot it while he was still airborne. Yeah, he just off the board. Yeah, mm -hmm. yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. So what's your number four? My number four is I will um, I will telegraph this for people. It is the one game that we both had. Um, <laughs> my number four is 2019 Elite Eight versus Duke, 68-67, uh, Michigan State victory. Obviously, this one's fresh, and probably all our listeners' minds are fresher than any of the rest of them. We'll talk about um, huge performance over a massively hyped Duke team that was led by Zion Williamson. If you remember, there were a lot of people, myself included, that felt Michigan State really got screwed by the committee that year because they had done enough where I thought it was justifiable to be a one seed possibly, but definitely to be a higher two seed than they were because they were put in a region with the overall number one, which was Duke. Right. So that would mean that they were the eighth seeded team overall. And that didn't make any sense. So there was a real feeling of at the time, God, Michigan state has done all these great things and the committee goes and screws them by putting them in a, in a regional with Duke and, you know, Michigan state's history versus Duke was not great. So there was lots of reason to think that they had been screwed, <laughs> but not the case. Uh, this gave Izzo his eighth and most recent final four. Uh, it was a great game, if you remember. And I, I have watched and rewatched highlights of this one many, many times because it was such an enjoyable game, in my opinion. It went back and forth. This was a very hotly contested game. Both teams would go on runs. Both teams would would they swap the lead back and forth throughout the game, not even just in the second half. And you never felt like either one was firmly able to get control of it. Um, Cassius Winston, 20 points and 10 assists. 
Uh, I think he was nine for 23 from the floor. So it wasn't his most efficient shooting game, but there weren't a lot of games where Cassius Winston even took 23 shots. So it tells you where he was at. He was not going to go down without fighting. Right. Yeah. Um, Xavier Tillman, one of the best games of his career, 19 points and nine boards. I always, I go back to, there's a play where in the second half where Michigan state, uh, gets, there's a loose ball. Michigan state comes up with it. They get into transition. Cassius is in the middle and X is running the wing and he hits X. X goes in for the dunk over, I think over Delorier and draws the foul. Bill Rafferty loses his mind. <laughs> um, great moment for X. And obviously, as everybody knows, the, the big shot was that three with 30 seconds, I think 36 seconds left by Kenny Goins to put Michigan State up 68-66. And those were the points they needed. Like RJ Barrett ends up hitting one free throw after that to, to bring it to one. But that was it. And then Michigan State clinches it with what I think was the best use of eyes I've ever seen in a Michigan State basketball game. So if you remember, there's a uh, Barrett misses the free throw and the ball gets knocked around, goes out of bounds. They originally call it for Duke. They go over to the table. They, they run the replay. They reverse the call. It's Michigan State's ball. But Michigan State is inbounding right in front of the Duke bench. So they're on the sideline way down there. Not an easy place to inbound from. And if you remember, the camera comes uh, close up on Xavier Tillman. And Xavier Tillman, with his eyes, directs Cassius Winston to just run a sideline route into the forecourt. And he hits him perfectly in stride. Cassius dribbles the clock out and Michigan State wins the game. It was such a subtle, great, great play by two of the smartest guys who have ever played for Tomlinson. All right. So before we go into my third pick, my number three team uh, game, uh, I just want to remind you to visit our sponsor, Nudge Printing. They do fantastic work. They do all our uh, gear for our show. Both you can buy a t-shirt or the hoodie with a really sweet logo. You can go to the final four, on the schedule.com slash merchandise to get a hold of those. All the proceeds go towards our show, but also for all listeners to the show, you get 20% off your order at nudge printing. They sell not only Michigan state stuff, but other schools in the state of Michigan. If you need to start getting your stuff ready for tailgating the football season coming up, uh, or just for around town at the gym or, uh, just, you know, out exercising, whatever the, the shirts are super comfortable. They're the favorites of my family. And I don't know, I can't, I can't uh, say enough about them. They are really, really excellent products, which is why we're so happy to have them as sponsors uh, to the show. So you can get 20% off. If you type in Final Four at your checkout, nudgeprinting.com. Can't go wrong. Please check it out. Gabe and Brittany are great Spartans, and they uh, do great work. All right, so my number three game is the 2010 uh, game against, uh, I guess it was a second-round game against Maryland. So Michigan State at number five seed. Maryland's number four. Michigan State won 85-83, and uh, this shot people probably remember for two things. One is Kalen Lucas blows out his his, uh, Achilles and ends his his season. Michigan State was on a run. Kalen Lucas was, of course, Kalen Lucas. He was fantastic. They were in a great season, and he gets knocked out early the game. Michigan State was up 16. Then he gets injured, and they just completely fall apart. And and then eventually the game ends uh, with – with a 
them dribbling down, Draymond coming down, passes, hits Corey Lucius, who takes one step, shoots a three at the buzzer and hits it. And, and you know, they win the game. And so it was amazing. It, I remember because I was at my parents' house and all the kids were there. And it was kind of the time when my kids were old enough to, my daughter was eight and my sons were six and four. And so they were there and they sort of like kind of got what was going on. And so it was, it was just a great moment just for our family uh, watching that game. And then I think what a year or two later, Maryland joined the big 10. But anyway, it was, uh, it was just a great fun game and a game where you thought for sure they had just that tragedy strikes and Michigan State falls apart. And then they you know, sort of rise from the ashes like the Phoenix and manage to pull that off and then uh, have a great run all the way to the final four, losing on that phantom, uh, the, the foul that was never called against Draymond Green against in Butler. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. Um, I mean, the all-time uh, move by Delvon Rowe to somehow oh, realize in the head he with- needed to duck. <laughs> In order for that pass from Draymond Green to be completed to Corey Lucius for him to hit the game winner. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think. I don't think there's ever been a more thrilling end to an NCAA tournament game for Michigan State than that one. Um, And it was really it was it was such a ruffle because, as you say, Michigan State with with Kalen Lucas was in control. They were destroying him. Yeah. I mean, they were really, really starting to bury these guys. And when Kalen went out, all of a sudden, what was the kid's name? Grievous Vasquez yeah. for uh, for Maryland. Right. Um, just took over and and brought them back. And it really did look like Maryland had the game won. Um, but, but for a great play by uh, Michigan State's three sophomores, because all three of them were about Draymond bringing the ball down, making the pass. Corey hitting the shot, Delvon ducking, <laughs> and then the duck, and the duck was most the most amazing. If you, because I don't know how many times I don't know how he saw the ball. Like I don't he either. just had it, a just pure split second, right? Like he just kind of saw yeah. something coming and just ducked out of the way, knowing that whatever it was, he wanted no business. Whatever whatever was coming towards right. his head, right. uh, yeah, it was. Um, and, and I think you know that that shot for an NC tournament for the significance of that shot, it is. I don't think it's equal to any, any Michigan State games. I, it's pretty much, I think it was like a Michigan had the one shot, like the, it was like a half court shot against Houston. That was sort of like the equivalent shot. They, right also, to, they also had a big one a few years earlier, Trey Burke hit against Kansas. Right. Okay. But so yeah, they had a couple. Right. But I think you're for right. Michigan State, that's probably the truly like a yeah, last yeah. second shot, right? That's, that's, like I don't the, think the there's one. another one. Yeah. I don't think there's an, I, I, if there is, I'm forgetting it. 
Because even Kenny yeah. Goins, there was still time left, obviously. There was. So. Oh yeah, there was. If you look back at that game, you'll be surprised how much happens after Kenny hits <laughs> that shot. Because there, yeah. there was a lot. Um, but yeah, it's a good choice. All right. So what's your number three? My number three is 2009 at Ford Field versus UConn. Michigan State wins oh, the game 82-73. I was there for this one, as I'm sure many of our listeners were, because that was a big building, and when you looked around, you saw an awful lot of green. <laughs> um, it was an insanely huge pro-MSU crowd at Ford Field, obviously. I mean, that was – for a season that didn't end in a national title, that was about as good as it could be otherwise. Not only that they got all the way to the title game, but that they were able to play that game in front of that crowd. And the day before to have, I think it was one day before, to have uh, the practices where they're free and people could just come in off the street. And there was a huge turnout for that, that I was at that as well. Um, it was remarkable. It really was. It was just a, a great, great atmosphere. And again, I mentioned, Michigan State had beaten a number one seed Louisville in the Elite Eight, and I believe UConn had been a one seed they were, that yeah. year as well. That was the Big East thing, like and you're saying. Yeah. So, right. Uh, really remarkable. I mean, UConn, I, I didn't go back to see who was the favorite, but I would guess that UConn might have been a slight favorite in that game. Um, had to have but, been. but Michigan State did the job. Kalen Lucas – Huge game, and that was a year as a sophomore. He was Big Ten Player of the Year. He had 21 points in that game. And Raymar Morgan, who was um, a junior that year, had one of his bigger and more important efforts in a Spartan uniform, 19 points and 10 rebounds. But the biggest roar of the night, the play that I think most people probably remember from that one, was Darrell Summers yeah. <laughs> dunking through Stanley Robinson at the rim. And the place just went nuts. Um, just one of those moments that if you were there, you, just, you, you can't forget it. Uh, it just sounded, it sounded like an airplane taking off in that building. So definitely a highlight, uh, I think, for any Michigan State fan. And it's the only time in Michigan State history, Michigan State's been to 10 final fours twice they've won the whole thing and then the other eight times only once have they won in the national semifinal and this was that occasion all right so let's go to number two and so my number two game is 2005 it was number five michigan state in double overtime defeating number two kentucky 94 88 in order to make the final four so it's the regional final uh, Shannon Brown finished with 24 points. Alan Anderson had, I think, 24 as well. Uh, Kelvin Torbert uh, had a great game as well. And the thing that I remember most about this game, so there's there's this one sequence at the very end of regulation. I think his name is Sparks. Is a guy from Kentucky? Yeah, Pat, Patrick, Patrick Sparks. He shoots yeah. a three. It ties the game, but it's like truly at the buzzer. And they have to go back to video to see, well, was it a three or was his foot on the line? And I mean... It must have, I don't know, just five or 10 minutes took forever. And they're trying yep. in there as they yep. slow it down. Of course, the, um, the, the image quality worsens, right? As they try and get like frame by frame. Right. And you can't see if for sure, if there's like a molecule of separation from his tennis shoe and the three point line, they, it was a three at the, the, on the floor. It was called, 
you couldn't overrule it. And I think it was the right call to, to not overrule it, but yeah. it was like this endless sort of thing. But what I remember most about this game and this, and this kind of goes back to my criteria is a lot different than probably most people's criteria, but it was meaningful game to us because that year we're all sitting in my basement. Uh, my kids are really little at that point, And my dad is over with my mom and they're watching the game with us. And, Many times throughout the game, Michigan State has a lead of like two points or, you know, or, you know, especially in overtime and it's super stressful because, you, you know, of course, it's for the final four, et cetera. And he, a number of times he'd say, well, I'd rather be up two than down two, which is, of course, like the dumbest sort of thing to say, right? And, but it has become a catchphrase in our family. So we're always, <laughs> whatever, watching games like, well, I'd rather be up four points than down four points. And so it is very, it's sort of a funny thing within our family that my dad sort of <laughs> statement, because, you know, some of those you just, you're so nervous you just say anything. And that was what, <laughs> what he said, right. which is true. It is better to be up to than down to, but it's always very, very, very funny. But that is, <laughs> that is our family catchphrase now, whenever we're watching games at any time, like we're, I'll turn to my wife during right. a game, like, well. We're up three. That's better than down three. So anyway, right. that's 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 the best memory for us, for me, for that game. It, this was a great one and a great choice. If people remember, that was, I think, and I'd have to go back to refresh my memory on all of it, on the details of all the other games. But my recollection is that was the single greatest Elite Eight round I've ever seen. It had to been. Because every game, I think I think Illinois and Arizona went overtime, yep. or maybe even double overtime. West Virginia was playing somebody. Were they playing? Who were they facing? Were they know. facing? Was it Louisville? That no, they were facing somebody who beat them. And again, an extremely tight game. And then maybe Carolina was the only one that wasn't ultra ultra tight. But it was it was an incredible. Uh, round of games between the Saturday and the Sunday to populate that final four. Um, as you say, the Michigan state Kentucky game, a classic, it's a, it's a great choice. Um, it's a funny thing. You look back at that Kentucky team and, you know, we think of Kentucky typically as just laden with high school, all Americans and, you know, future NBA all-stars. And, and that's been true of a lot of the Calipari era, but even before that, you know, mm -hmm. I talked a while ago about the, one of the choices I had that 99 Kentucky team. that was just a year removed from a national title under Tubby Smith, the Rick Pitino, and even some of the Tubby Smith era had a lot of that too. But by, by this point in Tubby was also the coach of this team by this point in his tenure, they weren't quite, recruiting the same way because tubby smith didn't play the way that some of these other guys have in that job and it created problems for him he didn't like cheating and he wasn't as amenable to playing ball with boosters as guys before or after him have been so this kentucky team was not quite that way now they did have one great player and one very good player the great player was rajon rondo who i believe was either a freshman or a sophomore. He was a young player on that team as a yeah. point guard. And then they also had Chuck Hayes, who was a, an underrated recruit who ended up being great at Kentucky and had a decently long career in the NBA. And was a guy that Izzo absolutely loved. I mean, he was, he was an Izzo player if there ever was one, but other than that, it wasn't 
that star-laden kind of roster. They were just a good, solid basketball team and that was good enough to push a Michigan State team that, quite frankly, had a lot more star power than they did. That, that Michigan State team, and it was really a gratifying win because that group of players had been so vilified over their careers because they hadn't been able to break through and do what the previous iteration had done. So if you remember, we're talking about a senior class of Alan Anderson and Chris Hill and Kelvin Torbert. The juniors were um, guys like Mo Ager and Paul Davis. And then you had Shannon Brown as a sophomore, Drew Neitzel as a freshman. Um, If you remember, there was a lot of frustration. Now that group had gone to an elite eight two years prior but the other two seasons they'd had, they were, I believe they were one and done in the tournament. So, and, and, and even in that regular season, for as good as that team was, they could not get over the hump against Illinois. So they didn't win the Big Ten. They didn't win the Big Ten tournament. And I think it was a huge thing for them. And it was a huge thing for Tom Izzo, too, because at the time, People were, I remember, people were starting to wonder and say, well, maybe that was all just kind of a flash in the pan because he happened to get a great collection of players. And now he's got all these guys. And and look, by the rankings, this group in 05 had more star power than the 99-2000-2001 team had. Right. I mean, Paul Davis, Kelvin Torbert, Shannon Brown, were all top 10 recruits in their class. And guys like Mo Ager, Alan Anderson, um, et cetera, were also very like top 40 type guys. So they had a ton of talent on this team. And so they really needed this to validate the careers of those guys and also to get people to realize, oh yeah, Tom Izzo wasn't just a product of one great group of players. He can do it with an entirely different group as well. So it was a big win. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's it's easy for people to forget these things. They forget that Izzo was on the hot seat, was might be fired, because it like, you know, what was this 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 sort of the transition from Judd Heathcote to Izzo was kind of a weird one. It's not one that, you know, had been seen very often. And it and it looked like it was a mistake because they were struggling, NIT bound. First and, two and then, years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean it was it was definitely questionable. Then it's then you know you have a couple an early exit from the tournament a couple times and people are like yeah right like you said it was a lucky thing can is a win that can he I mean there was a he lot of question yeah, whether he, he could win in the be, NCAA tournament he wasn't going to be fired or anything but there was you know when you go to three straight Final Fours and you win a national title in there you know people were okay this guy and he turned down the job with the Hawks to stay in college right mm-hmm. people were there okay this is the next great coach in college basketball and then you have you know, three seasons after that, where, yeah, they did make a run to an Elite Eight in one of those years, but there was a perception that, well, maybe this guy isn't quite what we thought he was. And this Final Four, I think, really solidified, no, no, he is that good. Yeah. All right. So it's what... a big deal. So my number two, that, right? Yes. What's your number two? 2000. Versus Iowa State. This is oh, game yes. Played at the Palace. This is my honorable 70, mention. <laughs> 75-64 Michigan State, but that is a deceptively large final margin of victory. Yes. To refresh your memories, MSU trailed by seven 
with 5.49 left in the game. So an 18-point turnaround, they outscored Iowa State in the last 549, 23-5. Just scoring 23 points in less than six minutes is hard. <laughs> Even with free throws, it's hard. But they did it and, and just ended up winning the game easily. But that was, again, very deceptive. It was anything but an easy win. So down seven, 549 left. Michigan State battles back to retake the lead by one on a Charlie Bell jumper at 61-60 with 249 to play. All right, so that got them back over the hump. Okay, they're in the lead. But the biggest play of the game, in my opinion, I think in most people's opinions, if you ask people, what's your one most vivid memory of that game? I think probably 90% of Michigan State fans would come up with this play I'm going to tell you about. So just over two minutes left, nobody scored. It's still 61-60. Mateen Cleaves finds Morris Peterson coming from the left corner on a high feed lob, perfectly timed for a dunk to put Michigan State up three. And the crowd goes hysterical. Again, this game is played at the Palace, pro-Michigan State crowd in the extreme, and they lose their minds. And (laughs) Iowa State is done at that point. Yeah, there's two minutes left. Yeah, they're only down three. But that's really it. From there, Michigan State gets four free throws each from Morris Peterson and A.J. Granger, and that kind of seals the win. But the capper, the other thing people might remember is Iowa State's coach, Larry Eustace, gets ejected with nine seconds left. (laughs) A highly unusual um, outcome. He got double teams, if I remember correctly, because he just didn't like some calls, and I guess he decided there was nothing left to lose. Um, and unfortunately, Larry Eustace, who was seen as a big up and comer at that point, this Iowa State team was really, really good. I think, I think most people would conclude this was the best team Michigan State faced on that final on that tournament run. I think they they were bet they were better than Wisconsin. They were better than Florida, um, and. And that shares something in common with my um, with my number one choice, which we'll get to in a few moments. But um, Larry Eustachie was seen as a big-time guy on the rise. And I can't remember how many years later. It wasn't many. I, I want to say it was only like two or three years later. He ended up getting fired because he was photographed or videoed oh, right. extremely yeah, yeah, yeah. drunk at a, at a campus party. And it just wasn't tenable. They had to fire him. And so it goes to the lack of impulse control that kind of <laughs> reared its head at the end of this game. You didn't know it at the time, but um, yeah, huge win. I, obviously all the, you know, Michigan state goes on to win the national title and all of that, but this was the best team they faced on that run. And I also think it was a huge deal because Michigan state came into that season and it was pretty simple. It was it was national championship or bust. Yes, no question. They, they'd won. They'd already won two Big Ten titles in a row. They'd been to a Final Four the year previous. They brought the vast majority of contributors back. They'd lost Antonio Smith. They'd lost Jason Klein, but everybody else was back. Plus, they added Al Anagonye and a guy named Jason Richardson. <laughs> the expectations were very simple. Now. 
That doesn't mean it was a simple process because if you remember, Mateen Cleaves missed big chunks of that season with a foot injury. Um, you know, there were, there were peaks and valleys on that process, but by the time Michigan state got to the tournament, everybody was healthy. They'd won the big 10 regular season. They'd won the big 10 tournament. They were a one seed. I mean, that's it. It's you got to win the whole thing. And this was the game that was the biggest challenge as it turned out. So that's why it's number two on my list. Yeah. And I was in Iowa city at the time. And so, um, I was always, I was watching all this stuff from afar and, and med school and stuff. And so it was, it was a busy time for me, <laughs> uh, as I was getting ready for residency, but I was at a medical school. And so it was hard to kind of, uh, it was a little bit harder to get into it because it's, you know, you're, and again, at that time, it was not as easy watching the games if you're in the wrong market, like they would, you know, pull away from the games if it was, uh, you know, if it was not competitive to other games, cause you didn't have like four networks to watch. I don't think, I don't recall. Uh, but that was definitely the only game that really mattered in that. Ter- that felt like it was any jeopardy of losing. They were, they just dominated. I felt like every other game, it was really not like, not that they weren't competitive. Oh, the, the, the game before that, the sweet 16 game at the palace against Syracuse was actually very similar in some ways, but it didn't feel like they're going to lose that game. Like I would say it felt like they, it was, they were in jeopardy of losing. Yes. And I just didn't feel like that yes. with Syracuse. Iowa state was a better team. Yeah, that was right. really the salient thing. And yeah. that was the beginning. That was the infancy of, uh, I, at that point I had been, I had definitely got my uh, anti-cyclone sort of, um, it was in my blood at that <laughs> point from uh, being in Iowa city for four years. So anyway, I was very happy to watch the cyclones lose. Uh, all right. So I guess we'll get to our number one in just a moment. Uh, before we do, and before we get to our finals, I want to just remind you to visit our other sponsor, the Brothers of Just Do Gutters. They do fantastic work doing, obviously, just gutter work. They just do one thing. They do it exceptionally well. They can replace, repair, or uh, add leaf guards to your gutters. I have in my gutters. They're fantastic. Now the water doesn't spill over. I don't have problems with my flower garden that used to just get just tons of water just pour on it. And it would I basically couldn't grow anything like I... Uh, I tried to grow vegetables there or something. And it's just like, it's, it was from three stories up. It was just like this uh, waterfall. And so anyway, I've now reclaimed my garden. I can grow, I'm growing some potatoes. So we'll see how those turn out. But <laughs> anyway, uh, they do fantastic work. You can t- get taken care of if you're on the West side of the state with Kurt and his team, uh, or with Greg and his team on the Southeast side of the state, where probably more of you live, uh, they can take care of you as well. Fully insured, get where things done quickly. And they are meticulous. They are well, experts in doing gutters, which is a boring thing for most people, but they have the passion for it and they do an excellent, fantastic work. And that's exactly the kind of person you want to hire for something that you don't want to do yourself, which trust me, you don't want to be putting up your gutters or cleaning them out. So you can get 10% off if you uh, mention Final Four when you email them. You can find their information uh, in the description below on your podcast player or if you go to our website uh, in the description. All right, so my number one game is obviously the 2019 game against uh, Michigan State against Duke. Oh, where they beat Duke in the uh, the regional finals to make the Final Four, so it's a it's different for me in the sense that it's the only NCAA tournament game I've ever attended for Michigan State. Uh, that was we've been to the Big Ten tournament a number of times. Obviously, we're season ticket holders, but I've never been able to really make it to uh, NCAA tournament games, and so that was the only game I've been to. Uh, we just happened to be on vacation during spring break and just were traveling through DC and we're like, oh, well, I guess we can go to the NCAA tournament game, <laughs> and so we bought tickets and went up to the game. Uh, it was also the year that um, we lost our son, Andy. Uh, he was um, 
uh, 14. And I know I've mentioned this on the show before. And so it was a super challenging year. Obviously we lost him right before the season started in August of 18. And so the only kind of normal ish thing we could sort of do and sort of the thing that was, uh, I guess, uh, routine and would give us something to get out and do outside of the house. It was, um, was to go to the games and it was a great, fantastic season, right? They had a great run. And so it brought us some joy in a time which there wasn't much. And so for us, it was amazing. You know, it's funny. You talk about watching the game and, you know, uh, the, the, the announcers, of course, I was at the game, so I didn't have any idea what people were saying on TV, but I remember a couple of things distinctly. I remember Matt McQuaid's dunk, which I'm like, where he had that reverse dunk down the baseline or in the first half, like early on. And I remember thinking, holy cow. I don't, I'd never seen athleticism. You know, you've always talked about how he's a better athlete than people probably gave him credit for, but he definitely uh, exhibited it there. Uh, And then obviously, you know, dribbling out at the end, I, it was mainly Duke fans at the, in DC there. So there were maybe it's like 70, 30, as far as Duke fans. And we had all Duke fans around us in the uh, upper uh, deck where we were, were seated or seated. And um, I remember when Kenny, Kenny Goins was lining up for that shot all of us collectively were yelling no. And then yes, when he hits the shot. And so, um, it was, uh, amazing. It was super emotional. It was very exciting. And, um, it was, uh, I mean, for all the other reasons you mentioned that it was a great game, it was a great game back and forth, but also it was just a, a great, um, thing for our family too. And so it's one that I think we'll always cherish. Um, I will also say one other thing before you go on and do your year number one. So I watched clips from all these games and I'd recommend anyone. It's kind of fun to just go back to, especially right now and go back and watch clips of these games, but especially watching the 05 team or like the 2000, the, you know, 2001 team or 2009. Um, I'd forgotten like how great Caelan Lucas was. I'd forgotten. Um, and you probably have better memory of these things than I do. I think they sort of blur together for me. And so I kind of forget. And also the speed with which Michigan State played, like it's been a number of years since Michigan State's really had a really humming transition game. And I'd forgotten how fast they played and like how much they just punished teams with their running. And I I watched them like, oh, if we could get some of that this season, it's going to be a fence. It's so much. I'd forgotten how much fun it is to watch them just run people out of the gym. And I absolutely look forward to that. and, And I'll say this. If you're if you're looking specifically at NCAA tournament games, you're going to see more of that. Yes, because those are the games where teams aren't as familiar; they don't have it drilled into them the way Big Ten opponents do. That hey, first job one is we got to stop the break, right? Um, I think Michigan State's depth this season is going to be a big factor in their ability to run. And I expect we're going to see them getting back to that. Now, I would say it's been really since since Cassius Winston that Michigan State has had a typical Tom Izzo running game. And even then, so I don't right. think they ran as much. You know what I mean? Like, especially watching some of those other games, they ran a ton. And even like pressing a little bit at full court press. Not a lot, but a little bit. Well, you know? the 05 team did man pressure. Yeah, it's yeah. the only time they've really done that. But um yeah, you know, I, I I think I think that um, you know there's probably some truth to that, but again, some of it is also the opponents. If you if yeah, you sure. look at that game against Duke, though, the one we're talking about, Michigan State did a lot in transition. Yeah, I you're mentioned right. the Xavier. I mentioned the Xavier Tillman dunk. Um, you mentioned Matt McQuaid's, and those weren't the only plays they made in transition. 
They made a bunch of them. Yeah. So they were able to get out and run in that game. And that team, generally speaking, you know, it wasn't a super deep team. And it also wasn't the most athletic group Izzo's had. So in that way, yeah, if you're comparing it to like the Cleves era or the 0405 team where you got the Shannon and Mo show, yeah, it, it probably wasn't quite on that level. But Michigan State 19. I, well, and, and the year after the 1920 season that we didn't have a tournament, those were the last two years that I think you really saw a more typical Michigan State fast break. Yeah. And I hopefully think, we are going to see more of that this season. Hopefully more Michigan State and less Wisconsin this season, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So closes out here. What's your number one Michigan State NC tournament? My number game? one was kind of an easy choice for me, to be honest. Um, and not all of our listeners will remember this one, but if you don't, <laughs> there are, there is some video out there on YouTube. There are highlights on this game and the, the video quality is actually not unwatchable, believe it or not. 1979 Michigan state versus Notre Dame and the elite eight Michigan state wins the game 80 to 68 to go to the school's second final four in its history. And this is one where they would win the national title eight days later against Indiana State, what we were talking about earlier, still the most watched game in NCAA basketball history. But I will offer what might be a contrarian take to people who weren't there or from outside the Michigan State community, but I think if you were a Michigan State fan at the time and a college basketball fan, I actually don't think it's, it's very controversial to say this. The toughest game they played and the best opponent they played in that tournament run was not Indiana State. Indiana State was Larry Bird and a bunch of guys. That's really the truth. I mean, they Carl Nix was a pretty good college basketball player, but they didn't have any other pros on that team. Uh, they didn't even have any other guys that I think would have been great college players were they not teammates of Bird's. That was a team that was in that game because of Larry Bird. That's how great Larry Bird was. Um, Notre Dame had five guys who played in the NBA on this team. And the bit that people who aren't old enough to remember this maybe have to realize is the Notre Dame of that time was the closest thing in that era to what Duke has been over the last 20 or 30 years. And this is what I mean by that. Not, not in terms of bottom line success, because they only went to one final four in that period. They never won a national title, but this is an era where forget ESPN, ESPN doesn't even exist. So the only college basketball you're able to watch is what's broadcast in your area um, via um, syndication. I can't remember who had the Big Ten contract at that time, but it was one of these syndication companies. And so in the Lansing area where I grew up, um, you'd see the games on, I want to say Channel 6 had Yeah, had I think contract, that's right. I think Channel WLNS, yeah. Tim, I remember Tim Stout did a lot of the games as the, uh, as the play-by-play guy, and I believe he was under contract with whoever had the syndication contract. But other than that, it was NBC. That's it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. NBC would broadcast games on the weekend. But Notre Dame was on every weekend. And so in an era where you rarely, let's put it into perspective, 
Michigan State played a, a nationally televised game against Kansas that year um, on television. Strangely enough, right in the middle of Big Ten play. Um, and they probably were on national TV. I'd have to go back to check. They probably were on national TV a few times during Big Ten play. But that's it. Michigan State played a game against North Carolina in the non-conference that wasn't even televised. I had to listen to it on radio. They lost, by the way, on a last-second jumper by Michael Corrin. Um, The year before, I remember they played Syracuse at the Carrier Dome, was not on TV. So I'm saying all this to try to put into perspective what it meant for a program in that era to have a game on basically every weekend nationally, as Notre Dame did. And they had all the pomp and circumstance and garbage that goes with Notre Dame anyway that people are probably very familiar with <laughs> with their football program. But it, it kind of attached to their basketball program as well. They recruited nationally, which people did not do as much of in those days, but Notre Dame did. They had guys from all over the country on their roster. And this team in particular that I'm talking about, they had been to the Final Four the year previous. Um, where uh, Kentucky ended up winning the national championship over Duke. And I can't remember which one of them beat Notre Dame in the semifinal, but they'd been to a final four and they had pretty much everybody of substance coming back from that team. So they were a, a big, they were one of the favorites to win the national title coming into the season. Now, Michigan State had had a very, um, roller coaster type season. They were ranked number one in the country at one point in the non-conference. And then in Big Ten play, they started out four and four, capped off by a loss at Northwestern in an era where you did not lose to Northwestern. <laughs> right. They were bad, and they, yeah. they not only lost, they got blown out. So then they recovered and ripped off, I think it was nine wins in a row before they lost a kind of a meaningless game to Wisconsin on a half court shot at the buzzer um, to finish up 13 and five, but they tied for the big 10 championship. They got a bid to the tournament. um, One of two bids that went to big 10 teams that year. And, uh, and they were seen as a team that had a legitimate chance to win it. Certainly. But Notre Dame was Notre Dame. So, and Michigan state just that again, you I'm trying to impart this as best I can. Michigan State did not have anywhere close to the cachet it has now. So your Michigan State, where there hasn't been a ton of basketball success, except very, very recently, and you still haven't proven anything, you lost in the Elite Eight the year before to Kentucky, and you're going up against Notre Dame and all that means. So the best way I can think of to impart it to younger people is think about what Duke is and the mystique around that and the arrogance and all of that. Think about that, and that's about as close as you can come. It's not perfect, but that's about as close as you can come to what Notre Dame was in the late 70s. But uh, despite all of that and the five future NBA players, and uh, Bill Lambeer was on that team for Notre Dame, Kelly Trapuca, Orlando Woolridge, you know, all three of those guys were longtime NBA starters and all-stars. And then they had Bill Hanslick, who was a great sixth man for Denver for a lot of years. And then a guy from actually from suburban Detroit named Bruce Flowers from Berkeley, Michigan, 
who had a cup of coffee in the NBA, but five guys who played in the NBA on that Notre Dame team. But it was Michigan State's day from the opening tap. If you have not seen it, I implore you, go on YouTube and just type in Michigan State, Notre Dame, 1979 basketball. Highlights will come up and you will see the opening tap is, I would say it's the winner in my mind for the greatest single play in Michigan State basketball history. Greg Kelser, all six, seven of them used to jump center because he was a great leaper. He wins the tap. He taps it back to Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is kind of turned sideways to the hoop. No look, throws the ball down court to a streaking Mike Berkovich. Or Mike Berkovich was a 6'4 guard from Windsor, Ontario. I had never seen him dunk before this. <laughs> he goes down, catches it. The, the no-look pass from half court is right on the money, and Berkovich goes down and dunks it. First play of the game. So this is five seconds in. Michigan State's up 2 nothing. They make that play. It was a play they had practiced. It wasn't just improvisation. They had actually planned on doing it. They had the arrogance to do that and the ability to pull it off. And Notre Dame was done. I mean, they fought, they competed, but that was it. It was, it was going to be Michigan State's game. And it was just stunning to see the game start that way. Um, you look at the numbers. Greg Kelser, 34 points, 13 rebounds, and two blocks. So safe to say he had a pretty good day. <laughs> and Irvin Johnson was no slouch either. He had 19 points and 13 assists. Michigan State shot 57% from the floor for the game. And again, as we're saying, they win it by 12. Um, it was remarkable. And Notre Dame didn't get blown out. They, they stayed within striking distance to an extent. But Michigan State was never seriously threatened in that game. They were clearly the better team. They had the two best players on the floor, despite all of Notre Dame's talent. Um, and, uh, and Michigan State was set to go to its second Final Four in school history. They beat the living daylights out of Penn in the uh, national semifinal. And then everybody knows what they did against Larry Bird and Indiana State to win the school's first national title. But to me, the most memorable game of that run pretty easily was this one, not the Indiana State game. And I can say at that point, I don't think I was even, I think I had just moved to Michigan uh, with my family at that point, but I was itty bitty and I was only five. So I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember the game. I was, I was you were just coming young. of age. Was it was in, like the perfect time, right? Like that's when you totally get into sports. I was in fifth grade. Yeah. There's so no better I, time. I, I had really started to care about sports the year prior. It was Michigan State, um, Michigan State football was in a really good era those two years, Kirk Gibson leading the charge and Eddie oh, Smith. Yeah. And then, um, and then I, I had seen as a third grader, I had remembered and was kind of half interested in a high school game being broadcast on local television between Irvin Johnson and Jay Vincent. That stuff <laughs> didn't happen in those days either, but it did. Uh, but I was, I remember it, but I wasn't locked in. But by yeah. the time his freshman season started, I was starting to get locked into sports. And by the time this season we're talking about was that I was voracious sure. in following that team. So, yeah, it all 
that's also part of it. I'll admit it probably looms larger to me because of my age too. Sure. At that yeah. time, how larger than life these guys appeared, but you know what? We are talking about Irvin Johnson. So he was larger than life. Yeah. That wasn't just a function of age. Sure. Um, and seeing, I got to see him and Greg Kelser and Jay Vincent and all of those guys. I got to see them play live four times over those two years at Jenison. And um, they're still just etched in my memory to this day. Uh, just the, the noise level and how entertaining. It wasn't just that that team won basketball games. It's the way they won them. And I, that play I just described is emblematic of what they were. They didn't just win. They entertained you. They were showmen. You know, and that's a lot of that. Most of it is down to Irvin Johnson. Yeah, of course. The ultimate, the, the greatest showman yeah. probably is for that, that yeah, position. Absolutely. For sure, right? And absolutely. to your point, everyone's trying to emulate and be the, uh, that really tall point guard and no one's really pulled it off like he has nope. since. No, they're, look, they're, you know, LeBron James, a fantastic passer. Um, when he was healthy, Penny Hardaway was legitimately a point guard at six, seven. You know, there have been guys who have been very good passers are tall but there's never been a magic johnson yeah he's one of one so far all right well i think we'll wrap it up there i hope everyone enjoyed the discussion uh, i'm sure you have ideas uh, either ideas for other things you want us to discuss like things like this certainly shoot me an email eric at tiffnots.com uh, or uh, hop on over to our forum at the uh, final fours on the schedule.com slash forum and there you can uh participate with a bunch of other Spartan fans and our community and sort of, you know, we can talk about these things. Uh, it's a great way to interact with everybody. So maybe I'll see you guys at the, um, at Moneyball in July 18th, I think is what I said uh, on Tuesday. Uh, if, if not, uh, we'll catch you again on a podcast player. Make sure again, you rate and review, check out our sponsors, brothers adjust your gutters and, um, nudge printing. Oh, I can't believe I forgot. All right. And so until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.